Life Church, it is so great to be able to connect with you today, yet once again to be able to worship the Lord together. And it's my honor, my privilege to be able to bring God's word to you today. So if you take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5, I'm going to get to Romans chapter 5 in just a minute. I want to take a moment though and just again say thank you for your faithfulness in this season. Thank you for attending. Thank you for being a part. And next weekend we are going to begin to resume our live in-person services at our campuses. And so if you've not registered, please do so. Uh, it just helps us to be able to serve you. That's all it does. It makes sure that we can accommodate you and your family and, and, and to meet your needs as very best we possibly can. And uh, so I hope that you um, uh, find that uh, process um, easy and good. And, and, and I hope that you will... will um, I'm just excited to see you. I'm excited to see people live and in person next weekend. Uh, and, uh, and, and let me say this, if you feel like because of a pre-existing condition or other circumstances or just what's going on, you feel like it's best for you to be online, A-okay, no problem. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment. I don't think you are more or less spiritual or I don't, uh, just say it this way, I won't even take it personal, all right? Uh, I, I know that, uh, that, that we all wanna get together in a very normal sense, but if you feel like you need to stay home, stay home. Uh, if it just doesn't work, completely understand. And so please don't feel any pressure, but we just want, we, we're gonna be keeping our online services at the same level that we have been, and we're going to be resuming our, our live and in-person services at our campuses as well with myself and the other campus pastors and the staff. And forgive me, I'm just a little excited about this and to be able just to kind of see people and connect with people, uh, not just virtually, but in person. And we're gonna begin a brand new series called Reset. And so uh, this is just something that kind of a series of messages that God's kind of put in our hearts that just wanna kind of share. You know, what's interesting about a season like that we've just been through is it gives you an opportunity to reset, to kind of hit the reset button, to kind of evaluate, to make changes. Uh, it's think of it not like we're not gonna be rehashing what's happened in the last 90 days. It's not gonna sound clinical or we're not even gonna be talking about coronavirus. But because of what's happened, there's a silver lining uh, there. What the enemy would try to use for our harm, God uses for our good. And, and out of this, my conversations with other friends, pastors, leaders, there's opportunities to reset. There's opportunities to, to re-engage, to start new habits, to cancel old habits, to, to reconnect and, and do some things. And so I just wanna take this as an opportunity as we're coming back together live, just to kind of hit on some of those things that have been personal to me. And I think we've all kind of been on this journey a bit. So again, hopefully you'll join us either online or in person, however you feel next weekend as we, as we continue and we begin a brand new series. Today, we are ending our series uh, that we've been talking about, the seal of approval in the book of Romans. And so again, we're walking through Romans through a series of series over the course of this year. And so we've been covering the last few chapters. We're gonna end with chapter five today. Uh, as a preacher, um, and a communicator, uh, I kind of, kind of uh, put a plan together of this is kind of the big pieces and kind of this is the thesis statement for every sermon and this is the text and these are the main points and this is kind of how we're gonna go at it. And so again, we've kind of taken it the angle of, of approval and seal of approval. And this weekend, we were gonna just hit the verses of chapter five, verses 17, 18, 19, uh, and, uh, and kind of encapsulate this last half of the chapter, verses 12 through 21. 
And I was gonna talk about being certified, that, that basically what Jesus has done for us, he certifies us in that seal of, of approval process. But as I began to kind of process and pray over it, I kind of saw something a little bit different. So I'm gonna keep the series title the same, I don't wanna mess that up, but I'm not gonna talk about certification, I'm gonna talk about four kings. And this is gonna make sense as we walk through, but four kings. And as I'm doing this, I wanna bring you in on the process. Because what happens is, is we all look at biblical texts, we all look at the Bible, and we're trying to go, not just am I reading it, like doing my daily soap, I'm doing my two chapters a day where I'm scripture observing, uh, application and prayer, but what does it say? Not just in its original context, but what's it saying to me? What's the truth that it's trying to convey? And that's where most people kind of get derailed at some point. They kind of go like, I don't really understand this. And, and as you're reading the book of Romans, some of Paul's writings can feel very much that way. They can feel somewhat redundant. They can feel somewhat like a termite and a yo-yo. You're just kind of going around and around. It's, it's like Chester Cheeto, you know, from, from the Cheetos commercial. It's like, I, 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 like I, I, I am completely lost. And I think I get it, but I'm not really sure that I get it. And it feels like Paul kind of jumps around. So, in texts like that, the reality is, is that there are key words or phrases that can unlock that entire text. There are key words or phrases that can give you a different perspective. Again, the Bible doesn't change, but yet it's organic, it's living. And so uh, you can read one passage of scripture in one season of your life and see one aspect, but the Bible's like a, a diamond. There's multifacets to it. It's still a diamond. It's still its consistency. It's still its character. It's still, but you begin to turn it and you see different light refractions and, and different facets to it. And the more facets that there are and the more refractions of life there are, the more, the more precious the jewel is. So is true of God's word. As you begin to look at it, you can look at it from certain angles and certain perspectives. And they're all truth, but they're different aspects of that truth and, and different degrees. And, and the Holy Spirit can kind of download into your own personal hard drive, if you will, of your heart, these truths. And as I'm reading over this passage, I'm going contextually, which is what I do. I look at two or three or four verses that we're focused in on, and then I kind of go before and after to kind of get the whole meaning. Because the books of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, were written as letters. So Romans was written as a letter to the church in Rome. Therefore, it doesn't have the chapter breaks or the verse breaks. Those are things that we've put in to, uh, for devices to be able to find our way through that letter very easily. So what's it saying? And as I did, I found a key that unlocked this from a perspective that quite frankly, I've never seen this passage through before, but I think it makes it simple. Let me say this real quick and I'm gonna jump right into the text, I promise. Is that simplicity is always the goal when you're reading God's word. It's not complexity. Some people, especially if they're in church a long time, they think if I'm confused, it must be really deep. Therefore, if it's really deep, that pastor must be really intelligent. <laughs> No, that pastor's just a really bad communicator. The more simple the message is, I'm not talking about watering something down or dumbing it down because what you're, we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna be talking about glorification, justification, sanctification. These are big theological words and constructs that we as Christ followers have built our theology on for over 2000 years. But the understanding of those constructs of justification and sanctification and glorification are relatively pretty simple. 
Simple enough that if you're in third or fourth grade, you should be able to understand what I'm about to say today. Again, it all works with someone who rightly divides a word of truth, as Paul would tell Timothy. A workman that has worked the text and looked at the text and facets of the diamond in order to pull out and extrapolate the truth that's there so that that workman need not be ashamed, i.e. the diamond, the product is awesome, but also the fact that it's understandable. The greatest compliment you can give any preacher is that they can understand something. So let's jump right in to Romans chapter five. The key word that you're gonna see here is rain. R-E-I-G-N, rain. So let me, let me, you're gonna see this word multiple times. I'm gonna show you and then I'm, we're gonna come back to why I entitled this Four Kings. Romans chapter five, verse 12, we begin reading. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, for unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned. That's the first time we see that word reign. From Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, but the gift, the, excuse me, the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift came from many offenses resulting in justification. Verse 17, if by the one man's offense, death reigned, there's that word again, through the one, then much more of those receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign, there it is again, in the life of the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though is through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Look at verse 19. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also with one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Moreover, the law entered the offense, uh, that entered the offense, that the offense might abound, but where the sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Verse 21, so that sin reigned, there it is again, in death, even so grace might reign again through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reign, that word reign is used four different times, referring to four different words in that passage. Verse 21, we see it's referring to sin. Verse, 20, verse 14 and 17, it's referring to death. Verse 21, it's referring to grace. Verse 17, it's referring to life. Again, it feels like you're kind of just jumping around and it, it, it kind of feels that termite in a yo-yo. It's like, it's like barbed wire. There's a point here and a point there. But when you step back from it, you take that word rain and it unlocks. It actually kind of brings this thing into focus. Reign is a reference to the actual time that a king rules. It's a reference to the actual time that a king rules. Paul uses that word reign to refer, refer to sin, death, grace, and life. I would tell you, it, it, it's, Paul's basically stating four different kings that are reigning in mankind's life and history. 
From Genesis until the very end of the book, there are four kings that will reign in that expanse of time. Uh, uh, and, and, and so he, because he's using the word reign, again, that refers to the time in which a, a king rules, a ruler rules. A king is basically a ruler. So with kings also comes dynasties. He's broken it down into two dynasties. A dynasty is a hereditary line of rulers, a succession of the line of rulers. So if you look at this passage and you use the word reign, you begin to see there are four kings that reign through two different dynasties. And so the first dynasty is Adam's dynasty. It's, it's what we, and what theologians call, refer to Adam in the book of Genesis as the first Adam. The second dynasty is, and we'll get to that in just a minute, is, is, the, is Christ's dynasty, which theologians refer to Jesus as the second Adam. Adam was the first, God created Adam in his image and his likeness, but because of sin, Jesus Christ comes again as God's creation, as God's one and only son, but he doesn't have the imperfections at the first Adam. It's kind of like you got a software upgrade from 1.0 to 2.0. It's so much better. It works so much better. And so, so again, Adam's dynasty. In Adam's dynasty, there are two kings. So Paul talks about the rule of Adam and the rule of Christ. Adam's dynasty and Christ's dynasty. So the first king in Adam's dynasty is sin. Look back at verse number 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis where God creates Adam and Eve and God puts Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden this place of perfection, there is no sin. And God says, you can do anything you wanna do. You can eat anything you wanna eat. There, there, is, there are no rules and limits except for one. You cannot eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because only God was gonna be the one that would uphold not the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. God is a judge of what is good and what is evil. Man and you and I are never created to be the judge of that. And nor do, should we have to have that level of responsibility because it's way beyond us. It's like, it's like seeing someone who's been put into a very terrible situation and you hear the phrase, they should never have been put in that situation. That responsibility should never have had to do that. That child should never have had to grow up that quickly. That's what God's doing. He's trying to preserve us and protect us. But again, when you say wet paint, do not touch, what do you do? You touch it. It's just what we do. When we're told in our human nature, don't do something, that's what we want to do. And so Eve eats of the, she's tempted by the serpent, by Satan himself. She eats and then she takes it to Adam and Adam eats and now they both have sinned. What is sin? Sin is disobedience to God. It's disobedience to God's word. They both sin. And then sin, King's sin begins to reign, according to what Paul's saying. The second king is the king death. Paul says it's the king death. So king sin gives birth to king death. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him, it's uh, uh, uppercase H-I-M, so referring to Jesus, who was to come. Look at verse 17, verse, the, the first part of verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. 
In this passage that we're reading today, Paul uses the word death seven times. Sin always precedes and produces death. When sin comes into a situation, death will follow. When there's sin, disobedience to God, his word, his commands, death is always subsequent. And so it is, it's, it's, it's very understandable that in this dynasty reign of, 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 of Adam, that sin comes first, king sin comes first, and then king sin gives birth to king death. God said to Adam, because of your sin, you will surely die. That's all part of the curse of sin. So death is multidimensional. When you look at death in scripture, according to God's word, it's not just one dimensional. It's not just a physical dimension. So let me unpack this for just a minute. So when we talk about king death, this is what we're talking about. First of all, there's a spiritual death. And this happened in the garden. We see this played out in Adam and Eve's life. And by spiritual death, I mean separation from the spirit of God. Adam and Eve are no longer walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, the way Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three records. They're no longer having this conversation with God. So instead of God being with us, he's now, we're now separated from him. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Verse five says, but we've been made alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that we've been saved. So before Jesus comes into our heart and into our life, we are because of, of, of sin, because of king sin begetting king death, we have a spiritual death, a separation between spirit and God. That's what Paul's referring to. The second dimension of death is a physical death. We all get this. That's where the spirit is separated from the body. There's a separation of spirit from the body. That's a reality for all of us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, that as it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, that, that every one of us will face, unless the rapture of the church takes place, uh, we will face a physical death. There is a beginning and an ending in our life. And we understand that death very easily. So there's spiritual death, physical death. The third is eternal death. This is separation of a person from God. So how is that different than, 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 than from the spirit of God? Eternal death says there is no way that that bridge has, that it's severed in such a way that I have experienced physical death and I've not accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's a personal choice that I have. Therefore, I am eternally separated from God. Never more to have an opportunity to be able to, to go back. That's the reason why. Let me say this, Life Church. That's the reason why it's so important that we talk about salvation. It's so important that we preach on salvation. It's so important that we give people an opportunity for salvation. Because on the other side of eternity, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to do all the things that you and I are doing today, except be able to see people have an opportunity to have eternal life, not eternal death. And so Paul says, look, this is what happens under king death. There's a spiritual death, there's a physical death, there's an eternal death. Thank God that that's not the only dynasty that reigns. That's the reason why we have, that's kind of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. 
But thank God that God loved you and I so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament, the new covenant begins and, and, it, and it chronicles, it records the Christ dynasty, the dynasty of Jesus that has, that, that has come into place for 2,000 years ago until, until God comes back and there's a new heaven, a new earth. So the first king in the dynasty of, of Jesus and the Christ dynasty is King Grace, Paul says. King Grace. What Adam ruined, the first Adam, Christ, the second Adam, restored. Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter five. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, King Grace, is always stronger than King Sin. The answer, the antidote to King Sin is King Grace. The antidote, the answer to sin is grace. Look what he says in verse 20. I love this verse, Romans 5 verse 20. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Where sin does abound, the King James says, grace does much more abound. I love that. Because that first rule, that first dynasty was about sin and death. But this new dynasty, this new covenant, the, the, the second Adam, Jesus's dynasty, the dynasty of Christ, it says that I am no longer dead in my sins. I'm no longer dead and, 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 and basically um, uh, condemned to die. And that king sin and king death, they no longer have any power because as great as king sin is, king grace is much more. As long, as great as King Sin was, King Grace is so much more powerful. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm about to shout and I, you should be on your feet in your living room clapping and giving glory to God because by grace that you and I have been saved and that not of ourself. What's of ourself? Sin and sickness, death and disease. But by grace, you and I have been saved. That not of ourself, lest we would become boastful. It's a gift of God. It's God's gift to us. Grace, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Don't, don't check God on me because you're a Christ follower. You go, yeah, I'm saved, I get grace. No, 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 no. We, we all need grace. It doesn't matter if we've been saved for one day or for a hundred days or a hundred years. We all need grace. King grace comes in and, he, and king sin is gone. King grace comes in and he swallows up king death. That's the victory. That's the good news that we have under this dynasty of Jesus. And King Grace gives birth to King Life. Grace gives birth to life, Paul says in this passage. Just as King Sin gave birth to King Death, King Grace gives birth to King Life. Look at verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned, speaking of Adam, through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We reign in life. That word life returns, refers to eternal life. When he says that at the end of verse 17, that we reign in life through Jesus Christ, it's speaking of eternal life. Jesus has come to give us life today and forever. Let me unpack this, because sometimes we, we have a misunderstanding of eternal life. See, eternal life doesn't begin when I am dead and I go to heaven. Eternal life begins in the moment that I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Woo! 
don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Think about that. Let that marinate a little bit on the rotisserie of your own spirit. Eternal life doesn't begin for me when I die. Eternal life begins for me when King sin and King death no longer have a hold on my life because King grace has come in and he's introduced me to King life. So eternal life begins at salvation. That's the reason why Paul says that even though we may physically die, we mourn differently than those who have not a hope. Because we know that this world is going to pass. We know that this world is temporary. We know, we know that heaven is our home. We are not citizens of this world. In this world, Jesus said, you're gonna have troubles and trials and tribulations. Look on the news, troubles and trials and tribulations. But take hope because I've overcome all of the issues, all of the problems, all of the disruptions in this world. We're not citizens of this country or that country or this race or that race or this belief or that belief. We are citizens of heaven because we have died to ourselves. We have taken up our cross. We have chosen to follow Jesus. The cross before us, the world behind us, no turning back. Eternal life begins the moment that you and I say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my savior from this day forward, eternal life begins because we no longer have to fear physical death because Jesus Christ overcame death, hell, and the grave when he took on Calvary's cross. He, he overcame that. There is no more victory there. Therefore, you and I have this, we live under King Grace and King Life, that we have eternal life the moment that we invite Jesus Christ into our heart and into our life. That's why it's so important. That's what people say, well, when I get old and gray and, and whatever, then I'll ask Jesus Christ to come in my heart and into my life. Why would you put off eternal life for five minutes, five years, 20 years? Have it now. Why wouldn't you want eternal life now? Let King Grace introduce you to King Life and let it take over. You see, eternal life cannot be earned. Six different times in this passage alone, Paul uses the word gift. Romans 15, Romans 16, Romans 17, Romans 18, talking about that this is a gift, that eternal life is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot request it. It's not like some order that you make. It's, you can't get it on Amazon. Come on, can I get a witness in the house? It's a gift of God. What's a gift? A gift is not something I request. A gift is not something I order. A gift is not something I command. A gift has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the giver. It doesn't even have to do with my affection or my love or my relationship for the giver. It has to do with the giver's relationship and love and affection for me. John three sixteen. for God so loved you and I that he gave. The gift. It's a gift. Can't buy it, can't earn it. Never gonna be good enough for it. Oh, when I get good enough, pastor, I, I'll give my life to Christ. When I get good enough, I'll come back to church. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be perfect enough. Can I just help you? You are jacked up. That's a good theological word. It just means you're messed up. You're dead in your sins and transgressions. But that's when God loved you and gave this gift to you. And eternal life is this. Eternal life is knowing God personally. Eternal life is not, is not a reference 
to an expanse of time that begins at death. Again, we've already stated that eternal life begins when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and your life. Therefore, to you, you, this world and, and the physical death of this world, although it may affect you physically, your spirit has already been redeemed. Therefore, eternal life has already begun. And so eternal life is knowing God personally. Look at this in John chapter 17, verse three. And this is eternal life, comma, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not about streets of gold and mansions and the crystal sea in the book of Revelation. Eternal life is about knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ, personally. Do you know him? Or are you living on this term life that one day you're gonna die and it's over? Or have you accepted Jesus into your heart, into your life and received eternal life and now you're on this journey of knowing him? Let me land the plane with this. When you receive Jesus, you receive life, this eternal life. Immediately in your spirit, Adam When he sinned, immediately he died in his spirit. Adam, when he sinned, gradually it took a place upon his soul and ultimately it took his body. But immediately he felt the effects of sin in his spirit. When you and I receive Christ, it's a reverse process. Immediately in our own spirit, we receive life. Salvation through the process of Jesus reverses the process. Immediately we receive life in our spirit. Gradually in our soul, we become more like Jesus. That's the goal, life change. That's why Life Church is all about life change. It's becoming more like Jesus. You're coming into faith in Jesus Christ, you're becoming more like Jesus. And eventually in your body, it's what theologians call glorification. Yes, we die, yes, we decay, but one day, whoo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. There will be a time when the trumpet of the Lord would sound and time is no more and those who are dead in Christ, we'll, we'll, the graves will give up and, and that will go first. And those of us who are alive in him will be caught up in the air and forever shall we be with him. Isn't that interesting that, the, that, that King Adam, excuse me, the dynasty of Adam under King death and King sin, <coughs> excuse me, has one process. But under King Jesus, he reverses the process. That's how God works. So today, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you want to receive eternal life today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And remember, eternal life is not about the sweet by and by. It's about the here and the now. It's about becoming more like Jesus. So what I'm going to ask you to do is pray a prayer with me. Just real simple. And I'm going to ask those of you that are even watching me, wherever you are, to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Because there may be people in your own house, your own living room, or within the sound of your voice that are going to pray this prayer. So they're not alone. None of us like to be alone. We're never created to be alone. But together. And if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. So I want to end today's sermon that way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And if you want to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior, I'm going to invite you to do that today. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe that you, Jesus, are my salvation. You are the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, 
died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says. I pray that your dynasty would reign in my life today. That King Grace would fill me and overflow me. And that King Life would consume me. That I would have life today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I just pray for every person that prayed that prayer, that you would just let the grace of Jesus Christ fill their heart and fill their life, and that you would just let the joy of the Lord and, and the life that comes, that peace from under, uh, without understanding, beyond understanding, and, and that joy just overflow them. And I just thank you today. Thank you, God, that we no longer live under a dynasty of sin and death that we live under the dynasty of Jesus, of grace and life. In Jesus' name, amen.